A Telltale Pod production. Blackberry Blue by Jamila Gavin. The Purple Lady, Part 2 Pale threads of dawn were already filtering through the curtains when he awoke. At some point in the night, Muscuri had come and curled up in his lap. She leapt off, arched her back, and stretched as if ready for the day. It was time to go. Abu uncalled himself from the chair, then got a shock, for Shasti was still sitting where she'd been the night before, cross-legged on her carpet. In the dawnlight, she no longer looked old. She was like a young girl, yet, though her eyes were open, she didn't see him, as though she were asleep or in a trance, and did not stir when he whispered her name. No point in waking her, thought Abu. He noticed a large sack by the door. He knew what it was for, and shivered. Next to it lay a rope, an axe, a bundle of provisions to keep him going for three days, and a long, fine, velvet lead. On the table, beneath a small silver box, was a note which read, The sack is to collect your sister's bones, and the silver box, is for your sister's eyes. Miskuri will be your guide. Farewell, Abu. He scribbled a reply. A million thanks. If I live, I will return to pay my debt. Abu wound the rope around his waist and tucked the axe into it. Then, slinging the sack over his shoulder and putting the silver box in his other breast pocket, He slipped out of the door, back down the stone steps, and with the velvet lead in his hand, followed Miskuri over the wall. The bus was ready to leave, its engine running. Passengers were already in their seats when Abu raced up. He slid Miskuri inside his jacket and climbed aboard. Where to? asked the driver, taking his coin. To the end of the line. Abu was reluctant to say where he wanted to alight. The bus set off. The passengers it collected on the way were the same people as yesterday. There was the old Sikh, the woman clutching the edge of her veil, the same man with his hat pulled low over his brow, reading his newspaper, and the head-scarved lady with her basket on her knee. The place next to her was empty, so Abu sat down. Good day, madam, he said gently. You're back, she murmured. As are you, he replied. She sighed. They said nothing more as the bus wound its way through the awakening city streets. The crowds surging along to work thickened. 
They were nearing the purple gates. The people on the bus dropped their heads and hid their eyes. Miskuri stirred beneath Abu's jacket, her body stiff with anxiety. As before, he glimpsed in the hurly-burly a flash of purple. He saw the cloaked figure moving through the crowd. He knew that within the dark hood was the face of the purple lady, whose eyes he must not look into. Yet, already, he felt bewitched. Miskuri's claws dug into him. Now! Use the ointment now! She was urging. Abu's hand closed over the silver box of ointment in his pocket. He was overwhelmed by a desire to see the face in the hood. Miskuri's claws dug deeper, drew blood. Still staring out of the window, unable to tear his gaze away, he opened the box and, with his little finger, smeared the ointment over his eyelids. Immediately, he was pitched into darkness. Abu grabbed his sack and got to his feet. I, I'll, I'll get off here, he stammered. Never had he felt so bewildered and disorientated. Here? The old woman sounded terrified. No, good sir, don't risk it. Abu knew it was the old Sikh who spoke. I've got to try and find my sister. Maybe I'll find your son or daughter, who knows? And he groped his way down the swaying bus. The driver looked solidly ahead. I don't usually stop here. This isn't the end of the line. There's another mile to go. Never mind, said Abu firmly. I'll get off. The bus stopped, then immediately pulled away again with a jerk, before he had barely set foot on the ground. Abu cursed himself, realising that he hadn't thought of bringing a stick to guide him. He stood there, totally blind, with only his ears to guide him and his stumbling feet to identify his path. Can I help you? asked the voice of a youth. He hadn't heard a sound to indicate that anyone was approaching, but just as Shasti had promised, Abu could hear the youth's thoughts. This boy's an easy victim, just in from the country, no doubt his pockets stuffed with money to spend in the big city. Blind though he was, Abu knew from the sound of his voice exactly where the young man stood. So he grabbed him by the collar and said, What do you think you're doing? Speak up before I throw you in a ditch. Sorry, sorry, stammered the youth. I'm new to this city. I haven't got a penny to my name. So spare me a few coins, won't you? I need some boots. I was robbed of mine. Abu realised that this was why he hadn't heard his approach. But then he was aware of a sniffling and sniffling. Is that the purple lady coming towards us? He asked. And are those her hands? The cat leapt out of his jacket with a yowl and was gone. Miskuri! Abu cried. I'm off! stammered the youth. I'm scared of the dogs and there's a pack of them coming this way. Just stay still, hissed Abu, holding him fast. And shut your eyes. Whatever you do, don't open them till I say so. Fierce snouts probed their clothes. Noses moved over their hands and tongues licked their faces. Abu gripped the youth's arm hard to stop him fleeing. Don't open your eyes, he ordered as fiercely as he could. Abu held his head high, 
his sightless eyes open. He showed no fear, and at last the creatures moved on. But he was aware of someone else standing before him. He could almost smell the evil. If this was the purple lady, she was a giantess. He felt her looking down on him like a looming ocean wave. He felt her breath, not on his cheek, but rifling through his hair like a malevolent wind. The youth at his side quaked in terror. Screamed a voice like a high-pitched gale right into the youth's face. His eyes flew open. Gotcha! laughed the purple lady, and Abu felt the young man being torn out of his grasp. There was a shriek. The traffic stopped. Abu heard a clang of iron gates, then nothing but the silence of fear. He was alone. He stood there chilled and paralysed. When at last he felt able to speak, he called softly, Misky, Misky, Miskuri, where are you? Once more, the traffic rushed by like an endless, pitiless torrent. How was he to cross the road without his eyes to guide him? I know stick to warn others that he was blind. Oh, and where was Miskuri? He felt his courage draining away. Then a soft voice spoke at his elbow. Good sir, be so kind as to help an old woman across the road, would you? With pleasure, madam, exclaimed Abu, startled out of his dread. He didn't tell her that he was blind. She would be his eyes. He took her elbow firmly and let her step into the road, hobbling through the hooting and honking cars and buses and motorbikes. As they crossed, he heard her thoughts. Has he lost someone? Is he going to go through those gates? Perhaps this man can help me. Then she whispered, You're going to look for someone in that terrible garden, aren't you? Is it your sweetheart? Is it your sister? My sister, Abu nodded. I must find her. All this time, I've been waiting and longing for someone like you. I didn't think there was anyone brave enough. Then you come along. I won't go with you. I have longed to enter those gates, but I am too old. Too old. Find my granddaughter. I beseech you. Her name is Asaria. Perhaps if you bring Asaria back, it will bring back her mother's mind too. She is deranged with grief. Oh, help us, good sir. Then she was gone. Abu suddenly heard a soft meow and felt a soft, furry body coiling in and out of his legs. Miskuri! He bent down and picked up the cat. I thought you'd left me! He wept, suddenly filled with an inexpressible sadness. Of course not, silly, her cat thoughts entered his head. I just hate dogs! With outstretched hands, he moved forward, trailing his fingers along walls and railings till he touched the cold, hard iron of the gates. He had barely pushed them when they opened silently without a squeak or a creak. He stepped inside and entered the kingdom of the Purple Lady. Behind him, the pavements had been seething with people and the streets a cacophony of traffic. 
But once through the gates he stepped into silence. He heard no one, no traffic, no voices, no birds, nothing. It was as though he was not only blind, but deaf too. What kind of place was this? Abu took off his boots and threw them into his sack, so that his bare feet could make sense of the terrain. Was this earth? It felt gritty, not like the clay earth of the fields or his garden, not like the sand by the sea or the lime of the cliffs, more like ash from a fire or volcano. There was no scent of flowers, no rustle of leaves in the trees, no trickle of fountains. He fell to his knees and crawled along, touching, sniffing, trying to find grass or flowers, feeling for the trunks of trees, anything that lived. But all seemed utterly barren. What is this place? he whispered. A place of nothing, mewed Miss Goury. How do I know which way to go? Tie the velvet cord around my neck and I will lead you, instructed the cat. Gently, he did as she said, and then with a decisive tug, she led him further into the Purple Kingdom. I see a line of cliffs, jagged as teeth. Dropping like stone waterfalls, they are pitted with caves as dark as eyes. Lots of caves. Abu felt his strength suddenly drain from him. He collapsed on the ground, shaking. How far away are they? How shall we know which is the cave of bones? He longed to turn back, to give up, admit defeat. I can't do this, he cried. I'm starving, meowed Miss Goury. Abu's fingers trembled as he opened up the bundle of provisions. He realised he was hungry too. Shasti had given him a bottle of water, cheese sandwiches, salad with herbs, apples and celery, and some chicken for Muscuri. They ate greedily, and as they did so, Abu felt his strength returning, and with it, his courage. His sharp ears heard a movement. Muscuri heard it too, and her fur stood up. A bird had landed nearby. Abu heard the creature's thoughts. This foolish youth with this cat, looking for a loved one, eh? The purple lady had better be told. The bird watched them for a few seconds, then rose up into the sky and flew eastwards. Muscuri saw it wheel up towards the cliffs, then swoop down and vanish inside one of the caves. Abu, it was one of them, one of the birds that served the purple lady. It will be flying to warn her. I saw it enter a cave. I think I know which one. We must be off. Abu felt a chill run through him. He felt as if he were being led to the edge of the world. He could fall off into a void and be lost forever. How far is it to these cliffs? He asked, piling the remainder of the provisions back into his sack. If we hurry, we may get there before nightfall. Abu, trust me, pleaded Muscuri, hearing his despair. A thunderclap shook the air, and suddenly the rain came down like an opened floodgate. There was nowhere, not even a tree, that offered any shelter. 
Abu scooped Muscuri up into his arms and pushed her into the dry warmth of his jacket. Let's wait a bit until the rain stops, he whispered. No, Abu, there's no time. The bird will tell the purple lady about us. We must get to the cave as quickly as possible. Now put me down and hold the cord. I'll take you. But you'll get so wet, he moaned. Think of Layla. She's waiting for us. So Abu put Muskuri down on the sodden ground and she led him onwards. Her fur flattened to her body in the pouring rain. With head bowed, he held on to the cord and let her lead him. Abu stumbled on through the mire. He stubbed his bare toes against boulders and mud squashed around his feet with every step. But suddenly, the rain ceased. Muskuri stopped abruptly. He felt her anxiety quivering along the cord. What can you see? he asked. Are we at the cave? It's guarded by two of her hounds. They sit like statues on either side of the opening. What shall we do? asked Abu. Miskuri took a long time thinking. Well, long for a cat. All of ten seconds. If the dogs see me, they'll chase me. But they won't catch me. That will be your chance. While they're after me, you can enter the cave. Just walk twenty paces forward and then you'll reach the opening. Untie my cord and let me lead them on a merry chase. I thought you hated dogs. I do, but sometimes necessity overcomes fear. Don't worry, I'll find you again when it's safe. Reluctantly, Abu untied the cord and felt it fall free in his hands as Muskuri leapt away. He heard some fearsome snarling and Muskuri gave an equally terrifying yowl. There was a sound of scuffling, then deafening barks gradually diminished into the distance as Muskuri fled with the dogs in hot pursuit. Abu counted twenty paces with hands outstretched. At first he touched hard rock, then suddenly space. He had stepped into the chill void of a cave. There was a fierce flapping of wings as a bird rushed into his face, pecking at him. Abu whirled around, swiping at it with the sack, and heard its thoughts. Caw, stupid dogs, falling for a ruse like that. I told them to go for you, but they can't help chasing the cat. Idiots, the purple lady will hear about this. Then you'll be for it. With a fearful screech, the bird was gone. Abu dropped to his hands and knees, hands outstretched, feeling, touching, identifying stones, rocks and bones. They were everywhere. Wherever he crawled, they rattled beneath his touch. Bones, bones, bones piled up all around him. How do I know which bones are Layla's? Abu wept despairingly. Even if I had eyes to see, how would I know which are hers? All at once, the cave was filled with singing. It was Layla's voice, Layla's song. It was as if every single one of her bones were singing. Here I am, 
here I am. With a cry of joy, he leapt forward, pushing into the rattling mounds, grabbing at bones and pressing them to his ear. Every bone that sang, he thrust into the sack. On and on he worked, burrowing away, gradually finding every piece of her. Legs, arms, shoulders, spine and ribs. When he found the skull, the sockets wide and empty, mouth open as it sang. Abu shouted for joy, Oh, Layla! There were just a few more bones to find. On and on he searched, listening and identifying his beloved sister. At last, only one voice sang, one last bone to find. Here I am, here I am. Miskuri meowed. Miskuri? Abu whispered. Wait, I found her. We must leave now. It's night. The dogs gave up the chase after the sun went down, and they are asleep with exhaustion. But it'll soon be dawn. Let's go! Let's go! There's still one bone left to find, cried Abu, desperately clawing his way among the clattering pile. Now, Abu, leave now or all will be lost. Put the cord around my neck. We must leave. Suddenly, all the bones in the cave began wailing and rattling. Take us too. Take us too. I am Rosaria. I am Freddy. I am Jasvinda. Please find me. Take me home. I wish I could. I'm sorry. I'll try and come back, cried Abu, attaching the cord to Muscuri and slinging the sack over his shoulder as the cat tugged him out of the cave. Abu ran, blindly, wildly, stumbling over uneven ground with a sack of Layla's bones clanking against his back. He had no idea in which direction Muscuri was pulling him. He just ran and ran, hanging on to the velvet cord. Only when there was complete silence did they finally stop. Abu collapsed on the ground, his legs cramped, his lungs heaving fit to burst. They slept a while, but all too soon Muscuri's furry body brushed against his face and woke him. Get up! Get up! The dogs will be searching for us, Abu. We must go! she urged. Oh, this darkness, this blindness! If only I could see! moaned Abu. If he had been able to see, he would have noticed an ominous peck in the grey dawn sky, wheeling around in great circles like a searchlight. He would have spotted, far in the distance, a tiny moving purple limousine following the track leading to the cave. Abu sniffed and smelled water. He felt a new surge of energy. They mustn't stop. We must find the well of eyes now, he said, clambering to his feet. He heard the soft croak of a frog. Muscuri heard it too, and was about to spring. Even though Abu had just shared some chicken and cheese with her, a frog for breakfast would have been very tasty. However, Abu tugged her back. No, Miski, no! Where there are frogs, there is water. On hands and knees, he groped his way towards the croaking creature. Dear frog, can you help me? Where can I find the well of eyes? He asked. The fellow's a lunatic, thought the frog. No one should ask me that question. It's dangerous. And keep that cut off me. Misky squawked. 
still crouched, ready to pounce. If you don't answer my question, she'll have you for breakfast, said Abu. She would have had you a minute ago, if it hadn't have been for me. You're mad to go there, croaked the frog, bemused that this mortal seemed able to read his thoughts. But why should I care what happens to you? Follow the dried up stream bed. You're almost standing on it, but remember, this is where the purple lady brings the eyes of her victims. If she ever saw a living creature near the well, she would destroy them. I've done my bit. I'm off. And he hopped away. Abu suddenly heard barking again. It was far in the distance, but getting nearer. The dogs! yowled Muskuri. The purple lady must be coming. They picked up our scent. Run! Abu, run! Abu ran, trying to keep the smell of wet mud in his nostrils. Trying to keep the smell of wet mud in his nostrils. He ran and ran, stopping once to throw himself down on the ground to sniff. It was there, earthy water, somewhere beneath his feet. Reeds grew thickly and dragonflies fluttered across his face like ghosts. We must be close. Can you see anything, Misky? he asked, untying the cord. Go and find the well. He felt a stirring amongst the bones in his sack. They were singing Layla's song. Hurry, Misky, we've not got much time. The barking was closer still. It's here! I found it! meowed Muskuri, but Abu heard her terror as she peered down into the deepest, darkest well, where daylight gleamed like an eye gazing back up from the still black water at the bottom. I hate water! At that moment, there was a threshing through bushes and the snarls of dogs. Miskuri yowled and leapt onto Abu's shoulders. Then the dogs were upon him, ripping and tearing at his clothes. With one great shout, as though it were the last he would utter on this earth, Abu flung himself, Miskuri and the sack into the void of the well. Tell a Tale Pod Production.